Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. Our task today is to make it through chapter 13 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, which I think we can do. But let's start with reading uh, Romans 7, 14 through 25. That's where we'll begin. So um, I'll read that, then we'll pray, and then we'll dive into this chapter. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing that I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members." Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand I find I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh the law of sin. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your kindness and mercy to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you that the work you begin in your children you see through to the end. And Father, that our lives are one of increasing holiness uh, through the work of your spirit and sanctification. Lord, I pray as as we think about this doctrine of sanctification that you would uh, give us your wisdom that you would help us to understand what it is and what it isn't. And, Father, that you would be honored and glorified with, with uh, this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, sanctification is the topic today. And um, there's a lot, obviously, that could be said about the doctrine of sanctification it is, um, it is contentious, like all of these doctrines in the Ordo Salutis. Some take it this way, some take it that way. And so uh, we just have to coax out what Scripture teaches on sanctification. Uh, so let's read through the whole thing. It's only three short sections. And then we'll uh, come back to the beginning. They who are effectually called and regenerated, having a new heart and a new spirit created in them, are further sanctified, really and personally, through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection, 
by his word and spirit dwelling in them, the dominion of the whole body of sin destroyed, and the several lusts thereof are more and more weakened and mortified, and they more and more quickened and strengthened in all saving graces to the practice of true holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. This sanctification is throughout in the whole man, yet imperfect in this life, there abiding still some remnants of corruption in every part, whence ariseth a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. In which war, although the remaining corruption for a time may much prevail, yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part doth overcome, and so the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So that's that. That's the, that's the whole of it. Now we have to coax out uh, some of the things in here. They say you can't teach old dogs new tricks, right? That is a completely unchristian proverb, right? Old dogs can learn new tricks if they have, if they're regenerate, right? You are not stuck where you are in your current practice of holiness. You can grow, you can change, you will grow, you will change, right? If the Spirit is in you. The Spirit likes holiness. The Spirit is holiness, right? And so if the Spirit indwells you, then you can, then, then there will be first a desire for holiness, Right? You will begin to be disgusted more and more by your own sin. And you will be more and more attracted to God and His holiness. Before you had the Spirit, you were disgusted by God's holiness and more and more attracted to sin. Right? And so the Spirit comes in you, changes, uh, it says, changes and gives, or gives you a new heart and a new spirit created in you. At that point, everything flops and you begin to crave holiness and you begin to despise your sin. That should be something you perceive, right? That's, that's perceptible. That should, be, that should be a radical shift in your, um, your self-examination, right? There should be a radical shift. And so, um, you can teach old dogs new tricks. If you are 98 and Lord hasn't called you home, your sanctification still continues and you can put to death sins that have plagued you for 98 years. In fact, that um, that should be evident. Now, who does the work of sanctification? It is the Holy Spirit. Right, the work of the indwelling spirit in us. That is who does sanctification. It's based on the virtue of Jesus' work. His death and resurrection is the virtue of 
sanctification, but it is done by the, the Holy Spirit, right? And so the neglected of the three persons of the, the Trinity um, is, well, if I had to rank them, Jesus is first, the Father is second, the Holy Spirit is third and on the neglectometer, right? And um, the Holy Spirit particularly in Reformed churches, okay? Charismatics might have it way different. Um, <clears throat> and so the Holy Spirit does this work in His people. And that's why it's only for those who have been what? Regenerated. It's only for those who have been born again by the Spirit. It's only by those who have had the Spirit come dwell within them. That's who will be sanctified. That's the first statement. I don't see anything in here about the spirit of man. I see the whole man. Okay. Right? And that, that section of the, the, of the confession speaks to the corruption is in all parts of man, the mind, the soul, the body. Let me rephrase that. Yeah. I don't know what you mean. Yeah, I don't know what you mean. Think about it, and, and if something triggers it, we'll come back to it. Murray says this about the work of the indwelling spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit is the controlling and directing agent in every regenerate person. The controlling and directing agent in every regenerating person. I mean, just stop and think about that. The Holy Spirit, God Almighty, works in those who have been born again, dwells in you. And the, I just can't imagine that that is not um, something that every regenerate person experiences deeply in their soul, heart, and mind. How could Almighty God come and dwell in you and it be imperceptible? And so you covenant children who have grown up in the church and haven't had maybe a, a, a don't have a compelling conversion story still should at some point be like, okay, okay, now, now, I have begun to hate the things that I once loved, and I have begun to crave holiness. 
that's a good sign of the Spirit's regenerating work in me. There has to be some perception of this. He goes on, Murray says, hence the fundamental principle, the governing disposition, the prevailing character of every regenerate person is holiness. He is spiritual and he delights in the law of the Lord after the inward man. Quoting scripture there. Right? So the, the fundamental disposition and character of the regenerate person is holiness. They walk in holiness. They desire holiness. They make progress in becoming personally and actually holy. Right? So, so let's stop and, and come back a little bit. At regeneration, justification, simultaneous. And justification is, is a declaration that you are holy. When I look upon you, God the Father says, I see my Son and His righteousness, and I declare you not guilty. Right? And so there's that declared forensic holiness. But sanctification is talking about what the confession says, actual and personal holiness. Like your ethics, your actions, your doing and not doing. Okay, it's not a legal declaration. Sanctification is an actual um, is actual holiness. Not that you know. Don't hear what I'm not saying, right? And so that's why it says in the middle of the first paragraph, "Are you're given a new heart, a new spirit?" That's part of your sanctification in a sense. That uh, punctiliar sanctification are further sanctified, that progressive sanctification, really and personally, it says. You really personally become more holy. Through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection. And then it talks about the means of, it's, it uses that little, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, preposition, by. How do we become more actual and personally holy? And what does it list there? The Word and the Spirit. The Word and the Spirit. The Spirit working in the Word. Right? The Spirit illuminating your minds and working in the Word so that the Word, which is the two-edged sword, right, which is profitable for teaching, rebuke, correction, training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Right? That's, that's the work of the Spirit. It's done by His Word. Right, the the normal, the the uh, normative, the uh, way the spirit works is through the word. Okay, and that's that's very important because some others would would want to say that um, you could you can get rid of the word. You know, not use the word as a means, and that there are some other means of of sanctification. Um, like a like like speaking in tongues, right? Like that, you have to manifest that, and that is the spirit at work in you, and and that is evidence of God's regenerating grace and and things like that. A, a, they call it a second blessing, right? So there may have been regeneration, but the proof of regeneration is when you do these these extraordinary works. 
Um, and we say, no, God works through the Word. It's boringly wordy. You know, it's not, um, it's, it's not uh, compelling for um, religious experience junkies. It is just the Word pounding us with truth. The Word coming at us and revealing to us the will of God because it is God's will revealed. We don't need a prophet in our church to bless us with some extra scriptural sort of prophecy. No, the Word is the will of God. The Word is sufficient. The Word is enough. And that is how the Spirit works in the Word. And if you have prophets wandering around your church and giving prophecies, then likely they're going to end up contradicting the Word of God anyway. Um, and if they don't contradict the Word of God, then they have no reason to be. Right? I mean, that is their purpose, is to contradict the Word of God so that they're actually saying something that isn't in the Word. Anyway, I'll come off of that. Thanks. Thanks, Greg. You've escaped. Um, and then I, I want to focus on this. The, the next words there. So he works by his God, uh, gives us this work of grace, the grace of God in us, is by his word and the spirit dwelling in us, the word dwelling in us, Right? Uh, in Colossians, the Apostle Paul speaks about the, the Word of Christ dwelling richly within us. And so the Word of God, is the, is the Word of God dwelling within you? Not spirit, not the spirit, not the, not the spirit's um, motions, but do you have the Word of God ready and available to you? Um, in your mind, in, and uh, does when, when you have a conflict, is it the Word of God that comes to mind, or is it your own ego? <laughs> you know, mostly it's my ego. Every once in a while, it's the Word of God that comes in and says no, or says yes to me, right? Um, the Word should be dwelling within us, and that means you can't neglect the Word of God. You can't be lazy. Um, you can't neglect your sanctification. But then this word, it says, the dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed. So what does that mean? The dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed. Any thoughts? Okay, um, April.
Yes. Yeah, when, when something has dominion over you, it has control of you. Right? There is no way that you can't do what it wills for you. Right? And so when, when, you, di- when you were not regenerate, you were under the absolute tyranny of sin. Slaves to sin, right, is how Scripture puts it. And, when, and so when you become regenerate, the dominion, the rule, the, the control, the absolute tyranny of sin is taken away, but all of your sin is not taken away. Right? Sins remain. Regeneration does not make us perfect. It doesn't make us absolutely um, without sin and able to sin. No, that comes at glorification. That comes down the line, right? That comes when we're in the presence of God after we've died. And so, but, but this is really important because I, I think a lot of people would think as they struggle with their own sin that, well, it feels like sin really has dominion over me. It really feels right now that that sin has dominion over us. And of course, God, the chapter on assurance that comes later is really interesting because it talks about how God will at times give us over to our sin in order to humble us. Which is crazy, right? Which is really a, a, a deeply reformed principle and I don't think any other um, sect of Christianity would emphasize that um, God's sovereignty even over that sin but then also withdrawing his hand for a time that he may make us dependent upon him and humble us but, but this truth right from Romans 6 knowing this that the old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed that henceforth we should not serve sin For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. So the dominion of sin in your regeneration, if you're regenerate, has been removed. Sin, no, you, you you are no longer under obligation to serve the flesh. Which makes your willful sins that much more disgusting. Right? It makes our willful sins terrible. Because we're not in bondage to them. It doesn't have dominion over us. Just that sometimes we're saying to God, this is what I want and I don't want you. That's what every one of our sins post-regeneration is. It is a declaration that I will serve myself and not the God who has redeemed me. But that dominion is gone. Yeah. Yes. Yes. There are four, yeah, four states of man. Prior to the fall, he was not able, he was able to sin, right? Able to sin. 
and then after fall, not able not to sin. After regeneration, able not to sin. Yes, it's a, it's a magnificent change. And then at glorification, not able to sin. Right? And so those states of the will of man um, corresponding to the work of Christ and, and the work of him in us. And so, yeah, from stage two to three, from not, you know, uh, not able not to sin to able not to sin is wonderful, right? And, and it really is what the Christian loves. That's the other thing I want to emphasize, is an indication that the Spirit resides in you is that you love holiness, indication that the Spirit resides in you is that you're disgusted by your, your habitual sins. You're depressed by them. And you crave that it would change, and you crave for holiness, okay? Yes. Yeah, read, jo- yeah, read Jonathan Edwards' resolutions. And you're like, wow, my conscience is not that sensitive. But he had honed his sensitivity through self-examination and the work of the Spirit. Right? Read, those, uh, read a biography of somebody like David Brainerd that Jonathan Edwards wrote. Just a sensitive conscience because... He, God made him suffer, that suffering made him contemplate his sins, and he desired holiness. He wanted to be like Christ. And so, uh, this, is, this should have daily impact on us, right? Another Murray quote, it is one thing to, uh, for sin to live in us, and that's what we would say as the regenerate, right? Sin dwells in us. Indwelling sin. Uh, read John Owen, and he'll he'll thoroughly make you understand that. It's one thing for sin to live in us; it's another for us to live in sin. It is one thing for the enemy to occupy the capital; it is another for his defeated hosts to harass the garrisons of the kingdom. Right. So the unregenerate, the capital city is taken by by sin. And so sin is everywhere. The other, there's still sin present, but it's, you've been captured by Christ and it's just some attacks coming at you. And, and the attacks are coming against the garrisons of the kingdom of Christ, which are strong, Right? It is of paramount concern, he goes on, for the Christian and in the interest of his sanctification that he should know that sin does not have dominion over him, that the forces of redeeming, regenerative, and sanctifying grace have been brought to bear upon him 
and that which is central in his moral and spiritual being, that he is the habitation of God through the Spirit, and that Christ has been formed in him, has formed in him the hope of glory. Dead to sin, alive to God, right? Dead to sin, made alive to God, and growing in holiness. Now, So that's that, dominion. Dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed. The several lusts thereof are more and more weakened and mortified, and they more and more quickened and strengthened in all saving graces. So two things going there. Um, Lusts, passions, desires, sinful desires, sins, are more and more weakened. That should be what we see. There's more and more weakening of the sinful desires as we are sanctified, as the Spirit does His work. And on the other side, more and more we should be quickened, made alive, right? That's what quickened means, enlivened, and strengthened in all saving graces. Those saving graces of knowing God and uh, knowing who He is and knowing His holiness. And so... There's this weakening and strengthening in sanctification, but it's progressive. It's not instantaneous. It ebbs and flows. The general course of it is up, right? Like, the, like, the, uh, like Bitcoin and the stock market used to be, but is no longer. Um, and, and so, uh, but there's a general trajectory up, but there will be, you will have, you will sin, right? You will sin as a regenerate being sanctified Christian, right? And they'll just, you know, there'll be a plummet in there. But, but if the Spirit is at work in you, repentance will come. Repentance will come. And that's why we constantly need the pounding of the Word from the pulpit and from Sunday school and from friends and from reading individually. We just constantly need that whack in the face that gets us to repent and pursue our sanctification. The Word of God is active, right, and powerful, able to judge the intense, the intense of the thoughts, right? And so if you're not going back to the Word, you won't make progress in your sanctification as you ought, and you'll be sad. You'll be sad because if you're regenerate, you want to be holy. And if you're not reading the Word of God, if you're not sitting under the ministry of the Word, if you're not constantly wanting to be um, uh, under that ministry, you'll be sad. You'll realize that you are, you are missing out on getting to know the, the lover of your soul. You're missing out on that. You're wasting years not getting to know the lover of your soul. And so you should be sad. That'll lead to sadness and depression. So it goes, so uh, increase and decrease corresponding. And um, I mean, we could go to, uh, we could go to Second Peter chapter 1 where it talks about all those characteristics of the Christian, brotherly love, kindness, you know, those should be increasing. And if they're increasing, then they make you profitable for God's kingdom right? It should be increasing, it says. Now, what a depressing thing, right, that, God, that God's Word says that your holiness should be increasing. 
And the, the reason it's depressing is the more you become holy, the more you see your sins. It's a, it's a strange experience, right? The more you, you self-examine and the more the Spirit gives you discernment, the more you perceive your sins, right? And so you just begin to see sin everywhere in everything, right? My motives, you begin to examine your motives. You begin, you begin to stop and actually think about the thoughts that go through your head on a Sunday morning as you interact with people, right? You begin to think about... Um, just, just the, uh, your inner life and, and what a cesspool it is, right? And, and that's as you become more holy, you see more sin. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's the tension of the Christian life. That's the tension that we live in. Now, more and more, but it should be increasing to the practice of true holiness without which no what man shall see the Lord, right? Second Corinthians seven one. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Hebrews twelve fourteen. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. There's a necessity to sanctification. Um, based upon that verse. If there is not sanctification, then there should be little hope that you will see the Lord. Right? If your Christian life is one of continually falling back and going from worse to worse, well, then you must question whether or not the Holy Spirit resides within you. Because the Holy Spirit produces holiness. And so there's a necessary work. No one will see the Lord who has not been practicing and growing and being sanctified. All right. And then section two gives us a picture of what this um, sanctification looks like. The sanctification is throughout in the whole man. So every part of man is sanctified. His affections, his thinking his mind, his heart, his emotions, his soul, his body, every, everything that makes us up was affected by the fall, and everything that makes us up will be disaffected from the fall by our sanctification, right? Pulled away from that fall until we're glorified when the fall no longer has any, any connection to any part of us. And so it's in the whole man, we're sanctified um, you know, it, we're sanctified not just we're sanctified not just in um, outward actions, right? You know, I no longer hit people in the face. We're sanctified even from anger that led to you hitting people in the face, you know. Our thoughts that led to anger are sanctified, that led to hitting people in the face, right? I mean, even the thoughts. Think back and back and back, deeper down into the soul and the mind. Okay, and so yet, um, and so it's happening throughout the inner man, and then they make an important point in in section two, yet imperfect in this life. It is 
it is not going to be perfect in this life. Now, there are Wesleyan Methodists who talk about um, full sanctification. They put forward a doctrine of perfectionism. And yet, the way they define it is like, well, you know, that's not really perfectionism. Um, because they, somehow they work in a wedge of sin in there. But, um, but there are people that would push toward this doctrine of perfectionism, that, that there are, you can become wholly sanctified in this life. And yet, Romans 7 is, blows it out of the water. Right? Romans 7 is the struggle of the Christian. Romans 7 is Paul talking about this, this, this intensity in himself, right? the conflict of the old man and the new, the two natures, right? flesh and spirit. And so we all, we all experience this, right? You actually do the things you, you don't want to do which is pretty insane. And you don't do the things that you want to do, which is pretty insane. But sin is insanity, right? Sin is craziness. Sin is, is um, cuckoo. Uh, I do the very thing I don't want to do. If I do it, then I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin, which dwells in me. He's got this joyful concurrence with the law in his heart, like, you know, I really want to do what the law says. And then the flesh comes along and is like, no, come with me, you know? And so they describe this in the confession, and you should, you should think about this. They describe this as a continual and irreconcilable war be a good title for a book or an album. The Continual and Irreconcilable War. There has been no war fought in the history of the world that is irreconcilable. Right? Wars have come to an end. There's been reconciliation. Some of the wars took hundreds of years to come to reconciliation, but at some point they got tired of fighting and, and shook hands with one another and said, let's, let's maybe you know, stop killing one another. But in this war between the flesh and the spirit, there will be no armistice, there will be no shaking of hands. It is irreconcilable. The spirit will not make peace with sinful flesh ever. And, and the war that he fights, he doesn't just say, okay, I'm going to fight now and not later, and I'm going to take a break. It's continual warfare between your persistent flesh and the Holy Spirit. Always fighting. Always fighting one another. It's an irreconcilable war. And so that's Romans 7, this conflict, this constant conflict. You really do at times feel like you're losing your mind in your sanctification. Desiring that, and why should I desire that? And and then your assurance goes into the dumps because you're desiring what a Christian shouldn't desire and you're committing sins that, that are heinous, right? And then the Spirit comes in and convicts and gets you to hate that sin and you're like, oh, yes, 
you know, I, I, I don't want to be there. I don't want to go back to that, that filth that I wallowed in, right? And this is the constant life of the Christian. And if, that, if there is no struggle in you, if there is no war, if you don't have in, this perceptible war going on in you, then the Spirit is not in you. That's the only conclusion that you could come to. It has to be present on some level. There should be contradiction and warfare in the heart of every regenerate Christian. An irreconcilable and continual war. Um, basically on Romans 7.24, Murray again from his uh, redemption accomplished and applied says, the deeper his apprehension of the majesty of God, the greater the intensity of his love to God, the more persistent his yearning for the attainment of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, the more conscious will he be of the gravity of the sin which remains and the more poignant will be his detestation of it. Right? The more you get to know God, the more you see His holiness, the more you detest your own sins. And, and there's a fight. There's a fight. Fight, fight, fight. So remember this. You're in a continual and irreconcilable war. You're in the midst of it. Or you ought to be. In that war, the, flo- the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And, and the flesh lusting means that the flesh is setting its desires against the spirit's desires. The spirit lusts, and that's just an expression of it has desires for you. The flesh has desires for you, and they, they are set one against the other. They are... Um, perfectly set against one another. And then they describe the war as it goes on, in which war, although remaining corruption for a time may much prevail, right? For a time, that corruption in you, that sin may prevail. You may go after things. You may think things. You may be in this rut of of, uh, habitual sin. It will, uh, that will happen for a time. Yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part doth overcome. Romans 6.14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. 1 John 5.4, For whatever is... Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Ephesians 4, 15 to 16, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into, into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. According to the effectual working and the measure of every part makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And so there's a, the regenerate part overcomes, dear brothers and sisters. 
And so the saints grow in grace, and then they're quoting here um, 2 Corinthians 7, good verse to have memorized, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, having therefore these promises, and it talks about God being a father right before that, these promises of God giving you all things and he being a father who protects you. And then it says, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, one last thing that I'll say, and we have to stop. The spirit does the work of sanctification. The Spirit is the agent of sanctification, we would say. Okay? But the sanctified, the one being sanctified, are not passive, right, in the process. And, and we would go to Philippians 2, right, um, 12 and 13, which says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so it's not passive. There is work to be done here, but the agent is always the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does the work, right? We are not passive, and so the way we should talk about our sanctification is because God works, we work. I think that's the best way to put it. Because God works, we work. We're not passive in this. God allows us to work in our sanctification. And so get to reading the Word. Get to doing self-examination. Get to sitting under the ministry of the Word. Get to uh, confession of sin. Get to uh, prayer. Get to the means of grace. Right? And, um, And God will work. That's how God will work. God will work, and we will work in response. All right, we're done. We don't have any more time. That's it. There's probably more stuff we could talk about, but that's it. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you who began a good work in us will see it through to the day of redemption, to... Uh, you will call us home, we will be glorified, and Father, that sanctifying work will, uh, will be done. Lord, I pray that you would give us a sense of the irreconcilable and continual war, and that we would be more and more sensitive to the Spirit's urgings, and that we would not grieve the Spirit that we would, we would long for, that, that the, 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 what the Spirit desires would be what we become. And so, Father, continue this work in us. Give us a deep desire for your holiness and to be as you are, which is holy. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.